We're so pleased to have Chris Rowe on the Globe Screen podcast. Chris Rowe is a composer on many feature films at this point. It seems that you're pretty active, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's been a busy time recently for sure. Yeah, which is, which you can't complain. Definitely. And I guess give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself. Yeah, sure. I, I got into music very from a very early age. I had very supportive parents. I managed to do loads of music growing up. I started playing piano when I was five years old and went down that that route. And just, it, I think from an early age, music was my thing. So, Did you have a musical family? Yeah, both my mom and dad. They both sing in a choir and dad is a really avid guitarist and stuff. But no, neither of them... I guess got the chance to train in it and so it's always a hobby for them but there, there was a lot of definitely a lot of music going on in the house and and yeah they're def- definitely musical genes I'm sure but yeah so I, I had loads of chances to learn different instruments and I just love making up my own music really on from an early age on piano I was probably really annoying to teach because I just preferred going off in a different direction or and I jazz from that which is a big kind of thing early on in my musical development and fast forward went to university to study music and it, I went to Manchester University which was a great course but also it was all the kind of extra stuff that happened around the course that just gave me like a really musical background I got the chance to learn how to conduct just by doing it like getting groups of friends together also playing in jazz groups and writing for drama students that were doing plays and stuff really wide range of stuff there. is that where you grew up it was Manchester? No, it's, it wasn't actually. No, I've, I've, around London. It's funny. Yeah, all of Manchester's up in the north of England. And it was, you go, I guess you go far away from where you grew up, right? So everyone in the department was lots of southerners that had gone up to Manchester. It's quite funny, but, but it's a really cool city. The only and thing I know about that city, aside from football, is <laughs> is the movie 24 Hour Party People. Oh, sounds about <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess it was centered on this is famous club there the hacienda i guess that existed oh, yeah. in the record oh, yeah for sure yeah yeah no, it's definitely got that history for sure and a great music scene so a great place to be as a student and yeah and i think that's really where i got into contemporary kind of a contemporary composition so like really experimental classical music and kind of pushing music to its limits and that was what the composition department was like there so it pushed me in that direction and I went on to to focus on that back down in London at the Royal College of Music and that's where yeah it's I guess avant-garde like experimental classical music that really pushes the idea of what is music and what do we does music always have to be beautiful or all the different roles that music can play and also working with instrumentalists and like seeing how far they can push their instruments so that, that was a lot of fun and a lot of great experience there that I gained I think um and I did that for a couple of years like after after college but I think I what I missed was about like it that world being in that world and kind of spending six months in front of a piece of paper like writing a orchestral piece that was so insular and the end of the process was really collaborative and you got to work with amazing musicians which is fantastic but the first part of the process well, you know, ninety percent of the process was like by yourself in your own imagination. I think I missed worked with musicians in jazz settings and also putting on musicals and stuff. I missed that collaboration, which is what I think drew me back towards film music and 
yeah. that's similar to just overall filmmaking itself. I feel like I'm writing for a period of time before production. And then, yeah. you know, there's that period of time where I'm by myself and just writing on post-its and then sketching scenes on rough storyboards before other people get involved. Yeah, for sure. And I do love, don't get me wrong, a lot of the part, a lot of the process now is as a film and TV composer is the same. And I love being that, that isolation and creative kind of solitude that you get, like being alone in your own shed, like <laughs> composing music, but you are always bouncing ideas off people. I think that's what I missed. And at what age do you think you realized that you wanted to get involved in composing for film and TV? Yeah, it's a funny one because I think looking back, it was actually when I was like 10 or 11 years old, I look back and it was that was definitely my early goal with music was I used to watch those like DVD extras and uh, they'd always have, it was great, they always had an interview with the composer or a little kind of feature about the recording session and I just loved seeing how, how it worked, that world and how a composer would score the film and the mechanics of it. But then I suppose, yeah, I went away from that and then came back to it probably, I don't know, like mid-twenties. I got a couple of lucky breaks from one was I met this great editor who's now a director, um, David Fairhead, who I worked with him on a lot of documentary projects and he kind of gave me a big step up. And we, st and yeah, we still do work together. We've done about five or six films together, which is awesome. And then- You did Armstrong with him. Yeah. yeah, Armstrong. The first film we did was called Death of a Gentleman, which he put me forward for which was about corruption in sport, in, in cricket, like a subject that I hadn't really known anything about before, but it's, it was actually, yeah, a lot of scope for music actually. In that. Uh, that is actually funny. That's something I would never imagine because cricket sounds like such a proper sort of sport. So you wouldn't imagine know, that it's a corrupt sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Under the surface. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, no, we've worked on a lot of big projects together. And then I think another big break was, I so out just out of college I used to run this I, I formed a band it was like an eight-piece ensemble that of kind of musician friends and we played this kind of contemporary classical like experimental music and I wanted to combine that with because I was wanting to bring it back to film music and so I found these lots of kind of animations abstract animations and my composer friends to write stuff for these kind of weird animations and played them live put on events where we play them live together and we did one event that was down like underneath the river thames in this in this kind of old tunnel shaft that's pretty and cool it was awesome and when i think about it i <laughs> just thinking about it now trying to get about 200 people it was a venue but you had to crawl through a little door to get in there and go down these like rickety metal steps and think now how did we get away with it really and i'm glad we're still here but but the yeah like a weird kind of coincidence i guess a music supervisor pete lawton he didn't actually go to the gig but he saw a poster for it and then he looked me up and i'd done a few shorts i think at this time so i'd done a few things and he liked what i'd done and then was gone there books did a few things for them along the way and then that's what led to after love really because that about five or six years went by and then finally they had the right project to put me forward for and it's just yeah I think both of those kind of weird examples of just yeah lucky rakes and putting yourself out there in in unusual ways and seeing what works most definitely did you love cinema 
when you were growing up as well? Yeah, I did. I think it's like a lot of things. I think I was the kind of kid who like, I was probably always listening to the soundtrack more than I remember. Like, for example, I loved musicals. And whenever we went to go and see them, I would just sit there staring at the light the lighting guy or look up at the lights and see what was going on in that kind of thing and I love that kind of the behind the scenes stuff that was going on in fact I think that's that was what I wanted to do I wanted to be a lighting designer <laughs> like when oh, I was that's pretty cool six years old or something so yeah no I loved going to cinema but I think I was always seeing it for yeah listening listening to the soundtrack a lot was, was, was there yeah. anything to stand out like any composers that you paid attention to or any films that you really particularly like the soundtracks of? Yeah. Thinking back, I think at that time, I do remember loving James Newton Howard and his work. And there was a, yeah, no, it was the film. It was one of the M. Night Shyamalan, oh, The Village, which was, I loved the film, but also the soundtrack. Again, I think I saw an interview about it and the way that he used this, he used like a solo violinist as the kind of central to represent the central character of the film. And I thought that was really cool how you could that that concept of linking them together. And it's a beautiful score as well. But I think at that time I was, yeah, those, like I said, those kind of DVD extras that like those interviews, featurettes behind the scenes and stuff. Oh, I was a big, yeah, great. I was also a big fan of the DVD extras and watching. Yeah. I'm a filmmaker that learned a lot about filmmaking from watching directors, commentaries and things along yeah. those lines. Along those yeah. lines, Ridley Scott always made great director's commentaries on his DVDs. Mm. There's yeah. a bunch of them, actually. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I also remember, because I was really into jazz at the time, Michael Giacchino's score for The Incredibles was was great because the, they had a whole kind of, they had an amazing big band playing the score. And that was like something that linked those two worlds together for me, I think. Moving forward to After Love, I guess mm. give us a little context about what the film is about. Sure. So the film centers on Mary, played by Joanna Scanlon, and basically at the very beginning of the film, so she loses her husband, Ahmed. He dies right at the beginning of the film, and she has been, she's converted to Islam, and and before she married him, and which becomes important later in the film. And so the whole film, she then discovers quite early on that Ahmed was living another life across the channel in France. So she lives in Dover and stares across to France. He was a ferry driver that goes yeah, between Dover and Calais in France. And he was. she discovers an identity card of a woman, a French woman, and follows that trail and realizes that he was living a double life and turns up without, almost without meaning to, turns up at her, her house and works her way into her life and it's it makes it sound a bit like a sort of detective story I don't know like a, a thriller but it's more the film is more about exploring Mary coming to terms with this her world being turned upside down I think it sounds like a strong character driven piece and yeah I'd like to play a portion of a track is there one in particular that you'd like me to play Sure. Yeah, I think the track The Cliffs is the track that is at the end of the film. And that that was actually the first track that I wrote for the film because it's this amazing drone shot of these three characters at the end standing on the white cliffs of Dover. So a really iconic image and the shot just hands away. 
And whilst for the rest of the film, we've been with Mary and Joanna plays it so well and she gives so much with just little facial expressions. And so the music, we didn't feel there was much space for grand musical gestures for the rest of the film. But as the shot pans away, I think that allows the space, the music to fill that space because we can't see her face anymore. And <clears throat> so, yeah, it's definitely the kind of biggest, most swell, lots of big string swells and really emotional Excellent. So the cliffs, right? Yeah. So that was a portion of the cliffs really beautiful song thank you so i guess tell us i, I hear some violin in there tell us about the making of that song yeah absolutely so that was actually it's all actually the whole score is layers of cello so it's one cellist alice Purton, who i've worked a lot with who is a a brilliant kind of improviser and gets uh, and can get really amazing sounds and textures out of her instrument as well as that kind of more beautiful expressive playing that you expect from a cello and so yeah the whole score pretty much is her layered and it was an interesting it was a amazing project because first firstly it was we finished it in january 2020 so it was a really intense period of working together actually Aleem came down to the studio and Aleem the director came down to the studio and we just spent hours and hours really finessing like crafting each kind of each note because a lot of the score is incredibly minimal so the details really mattered and so looking back on it now that's just if that had happened a few months later and everything was locked down it would have probably been quite a different experience I think working together not in the same room I don't think we would have spent that time crafting it but it was an interesting project because I knew that Aleem had not imagined any music for the film so in our first meeting I he he said that and so it was it made me question why have music in a film at all why music here and really come to, to really think about that rather than just of course you have music in a film and and so where there there isn't actually much music for, I think there's no score for about 15 20 minutes of the film and the first time we hear music is when Mary makes this discovery about her about Ahmed who, who's passed away and so music 
I think my answer to his question of like, why do we have music was as memory. So music has, we get these fragments of music, almost like Mary's memory of Ahmed and just these little wisps of kind of, of melodies that I distorted it in different ways. So as she's finding out more about Ahmed's double life, these kind of what she thought she knew about him, all these memories get distorted and turned upside down. But actually the Aleem did know that he wanted, he had a temp track that he was using for the, instead of that, that track he just played for the ending of the film with this big drone shot as they pan out. And he knew he wanted something quite grand there because of the size of the shot and, and it's the end of the story. And so it was also about writing. I actually wrote that first and then worked backwards from that point, taking out different different parts of that tune that I wrote and threading them through the film so that by the ending, we, we're familiar with it. We've, we feel like we've heard these different melodies before. And that was, yeah, that was a really interesting process of assembling it like that and reverse engineering the ending. Yeah, that is really interesting. And I wanted to ask about that, unpack that a little bit, because that's common in a lot of scores where you'll hear a version of the song, but in kind of a different arrangement or in a different way throughout the film. And what's that? Do you use the emotional tone in the scenes to dictate that process? Yeah, I think this, having written, like normally I think you'd, Traditionally, I guess you'd establish your theme at the beginning and then go through different variations of it. But it was quite interesting to work backwards like this to really to extract these different, sometimes not even melodies, but just textural things on that Alice played on the cello. And so things that on their own actually felt a little bit empty, which so Mary Joanna Scanlon's character through I'd say like most of the film, she's just in a state of shock. She barely says anything. She says it all with her facial expressions. And so... I love that kind of acting, by the way. Yeah. So it's so good, isn't it? It's yeah. so subtle. And it's something you can do in the cinema. Um, yeah, exactly. Wow. Cinema is unique in that way where you could almost just understand what somebody's thinking without them saying a word just because mm. of the medium. Exactly. And I think that's why Ali originally struggled to think he, he didn't want music just to feel like it was put on at the end. So we had to find ways of almost like masking the, I think when I then started to talk to him about music as being part of the soundtrack as a whole, he then realized, I think that we worked a lot with the sound designer on the film, Joachim, to, so that the film is set in Dover and Calais, which are both coastal like port towns. Aleem grew up there as well. So he, he, it's very strong memory for him, all of the sounds of the waves and the seagulls. And so we thought of ways that the music could come in off the sound of a wave or a, the wind kind of blowing against the house. And so you're, you don't, you're not really aware of when the music has entered. And I think that's that was a way of hiding is the wrong word because it's not like we're ashamed of the music, but making it feel like it's part of the film. Yeah, not not taking away from joanna's performance so yeah like it's coming from back to this idea of memories in her mind i think these fragments of memories coming to the surface and then going away again and gradually fitting into place until we have that big powerful ending excellent and the film is currently playing in theaters now it seems at least in new york i looked it up 
Yeah, yeah, it's funny because it, it it was at the it premiered at various festivals and it was at the London Film Festival. I think back in twenty twenty, I need to check the dates. But and then it did a kind of it's a UK run, but now it's having its second life in the US. So yeah, it's great to see it. I know Aleem's been out there doing Q and As and things in New York, and I think it's yeah, it looks like it's on around around the states. Is it um, is Aleem from London? Yeah, so Aleem lives there, lives in London now. He grew up in near Dover, where the film's set. So it's a semi autobiographical film i think very personal film for him okay cool and mm. is that sort of exciting for you knowing that it's at the cinemas like people are in the audiences hearing the score or watching the film that that's yeah. that's always an <laughs> exciting part of the process right uh, yeah absolutely and it's i think when you watch the film at the premiere i'm still i think i'm still tied up in having just made it and yeah. listening to the things that didn't make it in or just listening to it technically still, yeah yeah exactly but it's but then i did get to see this later yeah when it came out in uk cinemas and just sort of sitting there and appreciating it as a whole was amazing and also yeah it's that is the great thing about cinema isn't it like you get to experience like people laugh in really odd places sometimes that you or you wouldn't expect yeah you didn't you thought it was like a moment of comedy and then every audience is different with things like that i've noticed that from my own sort of work like it'll play with yeah. one audience and there might not be a laugh at all <laughs> and then they'll play with another audience and everybody's laughing at different parts or so it really, yeah. yeah it really depends yeah. it's almost like comedy in that sense and like comedians will say okay this crowd is one way or the other crowd it really depends on the audience yeah so I guess let's, uh, so that's After Love. And yeah, I'm excited to watch that one. So Blue Jean, that was a collaboration between you and Georgia Oakley. And had, explain a little bit about that, the context of that film, what that film is about. Mm. Yeah, that film, so I'm always terrible at these summaries of films, but, <laughs> but uh, Blue Jean is set in the 1980s and it's about a lesbian PE teacher in the north of England, in Newcastle. And at the time, they there was a law that was introduced in the UK called Section 28. And it was, a, it was about discouraging homosexuality in, in schools and in not promoting homosexuality. And so being, at that time, being a lesbian PE teacher, particularly PE teacher, but a teacher in general, you had to hide you just didn't you led a double life you couldn't fully express who you were just because fear of losing your job and and so the film is about Jean at that time and quite early on in the film a one of her students she encounters what encounters one of her students in a gay bar and so there's that student obviously then knows her kind of secret at school and there's this threat then that will she be found out and it's very psychological. Yeah. And Gene trying to come to terms with that. Okay, wonderful. And if it's okay, I'm going to play it from Blue Gene. Great. Which song actually would you like me to? Sure. Have you got the, was it a playlist that I sent you? Because I think it's got a different title now. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> I always love film score titles. Oh no, that's the latest one. Yeah. Maybe Dreamscape would be a good one, I think. Okay, great.
Okay, so that was Dreamscape from Blue Jean. Loved it. I heard some synthesizer in there. I guess that was inspired because it was a period piece from the 1980s. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. It was. That was definitely an inspiration. There, there's a lot of commercial music in the film as well from the 80s to give it that, to place it in time. So I definitely want, this is probably the one, the track that has the most synths in there. So I tried to find a kind of common ground between the kind of music of the time and also, but then also incorporating the film, the soundtrack is basically strings, synthesizers, and the lead saxophone part played by Amy Green, who's yeah a brilliant saxophone player. And it's the concept really that I had for that saxophone part was this idea of Jean having to live a double life and having to repress her, like not being able to express herself fully. And saxophone, it comes for me at least with a lot of we think of jazz and we think of improvisation and like being really expressive and, and and completely free but what i love about amy's playing is that she has a very kind of pure classical tone to the sound and so it was and sometimes you wouldn't necessarily you sometimes you hear it and you think it's like another woodwind instrument sometimes with soprano sax and the idea is that we'd that it's jeans like something under the surface that's trying to get out and through the film at moments so that that track you just heard was one of the rare kind of like expressionist parts in the film where it's a big kind of it's a dream sequence where they're playing it's a slow-mo scene in in the sports hall where they're playing this game called british bulldog which is where one person has to fight against the rest of the crowd work their way through to the other side and so very symbolic and that's one of the rare moments where that saxophone really like soars at the end and so it's almost like the freedom trying to escape and that doesn't happen again really until the end of the film when Jean is finally admitted in this amazing scene at a kid's birthday party one of the guys trying to chat her up and says have you got a guy on the scene at the moment she says no I'm a lesbian and it just always an amazing moment with when you see it with audiences and it's you've been like rooting for her to do that for the entire film and so it's yeah a moment this freedom trying to escape and also we wanted to create we when Georgia and I spoke about the soundtrack for the film we wanted to avoid I think so I didn't get it I didn't get involved until fairly late and Georgia and Izzy the editor had already worked with a lot of temp music and that was quite good actually because they managed to get they got through a lot of different ideas and threw a lot of things out because I guess you can be brutal with temp music, right? You can, it's, it's quite, it's a useful tool for that, I think. Yeah, but I can and, imagine how that could be also difficult for a composer if people get attached to the temp music. Yeah, definitely. That that can be a problem. And, and also I become, if I listen to it too many times, it just works its way into your subconscious. Yeah. Uh, even if you end up replacing it. But this was great, actually, because I don't I didn't really see the film with Temp, but they had gone through all these discussions. So they worked a lot with music already and had a I think what they struggled with was and the tricky thing with the score for the film was not to be too overbearing, I guess, similar to After Love. But it's a film where nothing there's no big kind of tragic. There's no one big tra tragic event that happens. It's this kind of creeping, all these kind of microaggressions that she's experiencing from, and it's societal pressure building on her. So I think they tried some things and they were way too dark and other things were just not a bit too kind of 
<clears throat> light and fluffy and it, it was somewhere in the middle we had to reach and yeah so Georgia was amazing because she so she left for each cue she left these amazing voice notes for me it, we worked remotely because she lives in Spain and so it was yeah she gave these amazing notes that told you exactly what yeah she knew exactly what she wanted the audience to feel for and, each scene and what the, for each scene and how yeah. what they tried but had left it really gave me so much freedom like she never once suggested let's use saxophone for example that was from me and she was really open to that and it was great actually because she did the first time we met properly was when she came to the recording session with the saxophone but also an amazing string quartet the Solemn Quartet and that was really that was great to have her there because often when you record live musicians at the end of the process the music the quality of the sound changes quite a lot they it can throw things off sometimes by because they sometimes they almost play too beautifully for a certain project and because this was a thin a finely balanced thing of how we don't want to overblow the we don't want to make it too melodramatic or too and also again like in after love rosie McEwen is amazing in this and her there's lots of close-ups of her face and showing a lot already and with the strings there we having Georgia there we would be able to do a couple of different takes and like the strings would play with no vibrato for example which is a much colder sound to the instrument and then George would say or oh, could we go even colder or which as a musician probably you're not used to playing that way so it's good to have her there to push and sometimes it worked but you're not used to playing that way where somebody gives you a kind of an emotional kind of no is that what you mean it's like conductors do that all the time but i think it's there's as musicians you get into certain ways of playing and it's something i'm always trying to go against and that's my training going back to the experimental side you want to try and explore your instrument in different ways but you fall into habits right and and so yeah having because in the recording session as well at, at that stage in the project i go full on i go full into musical mode rather than the film but yeah. i'm checking the scores i'm it's right at the end of the process so you feel so yeah you get very wrapped up in the music itself but having georgia there as a kind of obviously it's her film so she knows everything about it but ha as but an external kind of force and an emotional barometer for this yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um, and a bigger picture barometer as i like yeah, yeah yeah that makes sense and i only got a chance to watch the trailer for the film but the trailer mm -hmm amazing and then hearing the songs from it from the playlist that you sent me sound incredible so i definitely look forward to seeing that i saw it, it did play yeah. at a lot of prestigious film festivals as well yeah it's done really well and we had the premiere at the venice sidebar festival there and did you and... attend sorry did you attend the premiere i did yeah yeah any, cool. any excuse any excuse yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. that's a good um, one it's a good excuse yeah, that is a good one yeah, yeah. no that was that was amazing seeing it there and and also because they invited along sarah and Catherine, who the film they these two women who were lesbian PE teachers at the time and so it's quite it's not their story but it's based on their experiences and seeing it's something i hadn't really twigged whilst working on the film and that seeing their kind of reactions after the film it was like they finally had their story told and it is a it was i think for women at that time they there was never a even when that law section 28 was reversed 
there wasn't as far as I know any like a big political thing about it it was brushed under the carpet for most people and so they felt like they had never had that moment of justice or yeah justice I think so the yeah the Venice premiere was really emotional and they just I remember Catherine or Catherine and Sarah I think at the end just going up to Rosie who plays Jean and they were hugging for 10 minutes it was kind of amazing yeah Yeah. amazing and switching gears a little bit do you ever consider incorporating original instruments in your scores and if so how do you seek them out from the real world yeah, I always try and find for any project, I always try and find a kind of unique way into it or a concept usually that to get into it. And often that will be from, it's it's usually, it's stuff that you've got lying around. So I try and fill the space where I work with as many different instruments as possible. But yeah, I often will, like I'm a string player, but a bad string player. So I'll often find sounds that maybe a professional string player wouldn't go to first or like approaching it in a as as a as something that makes sound rather than an instrument but Um, yeah that but that works for cinema because it's such an emotional driven thing so i feel like Mm -hmm. that yeah the medium lends itself to that sort of thing yeah for sure and it and also finding like for this i'm doing a tv series at the moment that's all there's lots of kind of money transfers and international money changing hands and things and so i I just thought of a concept of those old cash counting machines they have in banks i don't know they're in the last in a bank but that they i got some i recorded some of those and they've got an amazing rhythm to them so you sample them turn them into like different kind of beats and and also time stretching like slowing it right down making it into a really sinister kind of drone that's from a cash machine it's quite yeah that's pretty cool actually that's an unexpected one but i like that so when you're working on different projects how often are you just in general how often are you pairing music to the finished picture versus just having a screenplay or something along those lines yeah i think it it depends i'll often i think i've always i always read the script quite early on just to get a flavor for it but but i think the most i find the most inspirational part is when you see those the rough cuts coming in or oh, sorry, the rushes coming in and, and then finally the rough cut it's there's something that it's i think it's the pacing that's hard to get from a screenplay right unless you're really experienced with reading them um obviously you can get it's useful to form an overall concept oh. like that machine i was talking about or for and so i sometimes after reading the script have have come up with a little suite of ideas or something that but then that definitely gets refined when you see the the rough cut and the, the pacing of it but i try yeah i really love getting involved as early as possible with whatever the project is i'm doing it's not always possible but but i think it just yeah being able to make those mistakes early on before before it really gets going is and trying out different you have much more freedom then i think you also work on documentaries as well, which is pretty cool. I'd watched Armstrong, the feature-length documentary about a- astronaut Neil Armstrong, directed mm. by David Fairhead and uh, narrated by Harrison Ford. Yeah. I love the score, yeah. by the way. Really great Thank job. You. Yeah, that was, yeah, a third or fourth project I've done with David. So we have a great way of working, I think, where I'd get on board really early with those projects. And I think with documentaries because they could be recut in so many different ways and they're assembling so many different 
sources the music becomes really important to help piece those together and and also it's that's the only time where I've supplied things supplied tracks along the way without having seen the picture which then they David would edit with them and cut them around and I'd write something for I don't know like the moon landing and it would end up in a completely different part of the film so I thought the sound designer did a really great job too because I was mm. listening with headphones and like the propulsion engine takeoff scenes yeah, felt really realistic sure. no it's a I guess that's a gift isn't it for a sound designer any film about that era <laughs> and race and <laughs> yeah we've also worked on documentaries like Spitfire and Lancaster about the planes and warplanes and things so again for a sound designer that's always a battle between every all the fans of like Spitfire that that want to go and see the film love that sound of the engine it's so iconic so that's always like you it's a battle you can't win as the composer with that so you just got to find a way of working around it rather than trying to compete with it I thought the music was really weaved in I definitely heard your music in that film and that's when I realized oh uh, he's really good (laughs) (laughs) amazing yeah it's great yeah no it's great that was an amazing project and it was it was interesting one because Armstrong he doesn't give away much he never in interviews and things because of the astronaut training I guess or the military training it seemed like he was a stoic guy in general they talked about that like he wasn't bragging about himself like he's a lot different of a guy than Buzz Aldrin yeah which is all that I think that's the reason they chose him as the as the person the first man yeah and so that's that was interesting for them at, at documentary makers I think because and maybe that's where the score comes in a little bit to give to to inject some of that emotion that he wasn't giving with his with his answers. But it was amazing because they had loads of I think it was the first time they we see all of the home footage, like his kind of home videos and stuff, which is pretty cool. Nice. What are your experiences like working with different directors? Do you have some that they're like so specific about what they're looking for and then some that just leave it up to you to a larger extent? Yeah, I, to be honest, I've always I've been really lucky. I think with all the directors I've worked with, that they I've never had anyone that is. I think maybe it's useful that none of them are really musical, like they don't have a musical training, because I think sometimes that can get in the way. From what I've heard from other composers, maybe is if there's a little bit of musical knowledge there, it's like you try and talk. They you try and talk about things in musical terms, whereas actually what's useful for me is talking in like broader brushstrokes and emotional terms and what they're the experts in the story they're trying to tell and how to tell it and so I've always found yeah I found I mean with I've talked about Georgia and Aleem already but both of them it was you forget sometimes they're trusting you with this is their baby that they've been (laughs) working on for so long and they were both actually writer directors which I think is I guess quite rare that was I've worked with just those and it so it really is there project they've been working on for five years and so they I, they could have been so much more controlling about I can imagine them but both of them had like I said like really strong ideas of what the music should how the music should make you feel and the role of it because I think both had questioned whether there should be any music so it's particularly but that makes sense though because then they're really looking at the intentionality of it they're looking at it from a really fundamental level like what now let's just put music because there's supposed to be music but what is this music actually supposed to mean 
here and how is it supposed to really complement the scene and exactly. you know, be part of the fabric of the scene yeah know? rather than just yeah like you said getting attached to temp track they like the style of and yeah copy that that would be like the worst case right or i always talk about the show law and order but like it's okay here's a dramatic part cue up the dramatic music and yeah. it's very generic sounding sure. or that kind of yeah thing. i think it's definitely i think also the nature with tv it's being a quicker process and, and yeah having kind of signpost more yeah um, my impression of your music is it's really unique and it's not generic at all it's like really unique and interesting and you could listen to it as a standalone thing it's on spotify that's something i would listen to <laughs> yeah no, it's funny when you see with Spotify, you see where things end up. A lot of the Armstrong music has got on to, like songs for studying or something. It's funny, these playlists they end up on, but I guess it, it fits with that kind of yeah. I think just instrumental, like I, I listen to, I can't listen to music with lyrics in it if I'm writing, for example. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's it yeah. really comes down to that. Like people when they're studying or they're doing something or they're, if I'm writing a screenplay, I just can't, you can't have stuff that has lyrics in it. Sure. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. So what are you working on? Is there, what's next on the horizon? Yeah, I've just finished like a week ago, this new BC one series that I've been working on, which is, that's been the last six months of my life. So I feel really attached to it and it, it's called Wolf and it's a kind of new, it's been such a funny, it's been such a great fun project because it's like this genre mashup of horror, thriller, crime, also some dark comedy in there so it's been like it was a real kind of gift of a project musically because yeah we there's just so much to explore musically with it and it's set in set in Wales as well so we and there's lots of kind of cult stuff in there and so we could we looked into Welsh folklore and using the harp in really weird sinister ways like my friend Olivia Jagers the harpist she bowed her harp to create this really sinister sound from that and I worked with a great vocalist Eve Goodman who's she sings in original Welsh language so we worked with her a lot as well so it's been that's been a really fun project yeah, that's um, pretty cool to work with and, and and yeah later in the year there's another series of a trigger point which is a tv series that I worked on last year which so that's the first time I've done a kind of second series of something it's going to be interesting kind of re-entering because you, know, you spend so much time setting up the world and musically your kind of palette for that project and then a few weeks later you're you've not forgotten how it sounds but you're not in that space anymore so getting back into it will be interesting and yeah hopefully it goes well nice and have you ever collaborated with any orchestrators for any of your feature film scores <clears throat> yeah so i used orchestra my training is i worked a lot with orchestras when i was doing like contemporary classical music and so early i say the earlier projects i did because I was more in that space I it was these yeah the feature docs I did with David Fairhead worked a lot with orchestra and I think it's to do with the scale of the projects as well the scale of the story so with lots of films about space and planes and war and these kind of giant concepts so it seemed to fit with the orchestra and I love the orchestration part of it so it's a really difficult job for me to hand over to someone but I have worked with a great orchestrator, Will Gardner. And I say it's often more, it's like a collaboration rather than writing a theme and handing it over. I think as you, I'm sure you, there's a point where you have, we have to do that just for time. And But I think because of the TV projects that I've done, 
have when there's quicker turnarounds and things i haven't used an orchestra so much so i played it i've worked with a few other players but played it for myself or within the computer or i think yeah it would be great to find a project where for tv where it would work to use an orchestra and maybe explore using an orchestra with something like after love that was more intimate and it doesn't necessarily an orchestra doesn't necessarily have to be for these grand scale projects nice and where could people follow along with you do you have social media yeah website? yeah and um, i think instagram is the best uh best one that like what i use mostly it's great yeah doing Same. kind of little reels on there seeing the behind the scenes process sometimes and yeah there or twitter follow along and i always try and release soundtracks of stuff that i'm doing so blue jean will be coming out just after the film releases i think what's your in handle instagram. on instagram it's chris Rowe music great that's r-o-e chris yeah. Rowe music chris Rowe music yeah on both insta and, and uh, twitter yeah <clears throat> no follow along and yeah listen to like my stuff on yeah it goes up on spotify and um, it's great to just keep connecting with people thank you chris i really appreciate you being on the podcast today thank you for having me it's been a pleasure